Welcome to the Televerse Podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Geek geek out on television, so much to see. We still peak TV kills us all. Coming retro, upcoming TV talk every week. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor of popoptic.com, and I'm joined this week by my partner in crime over the TV section at Pop Optic, Mr. Depayan Sengupta. Depayan, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Thanks for having me on board. Well, of course. I mean, the, you you were the logical choice to to come on as my as my like my first co-host, but I was like, you know what? I'm keeping Depayan in my back pocket as a guest, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna. Have have Pine on the show, my my co-editor over the TV section at a particularly convenient time. And so when the holiday uh, Halloween was coming up, I was like, you know what, we'll do because of course you came on last Christmas to do mm-hmm. our holiday omnibus one where we talked about Christmas episodes, uh, and I we did. each picked one. And so I was like, let's have Pine back on to talk about Halloween episodes. And so yes, Halloween is already come and gone, but it is still burning strong in my heart. I'm a big fan of the holiday. So I'm looking forward to the conversation we're going to have at the end of the podcast. Anything to stop the inevitable march of Christmas carols. Oh, my. I've already started working with my students on Christmas carols. <laughs> yeah. I, I do not envy you. It's a whole thing. And I, I feel strongly that Christmas carols should not start until after Thanksgiving, a yes. very underrated holiday. Um, but I've got some beginners who need to start working on it if they're going to learn them by Christmas. So... See, yeah. see, the benefit the benefit for you is that you have that Thanksgiving buffer. For us, since our Thanksgiving happened in October, we have nothing stopping like radio stations from starting up Christmas carols right from November first. Just no, undo it. Just don't. Oh. See, this is another reason. No offense to our Canadian brethren, including yourself, to Pine. This is another reason why uh, fake Thanksgiving in October is just wrong to me. Thanksgiving happens after Halloween. Thank you very much. Yeah. But that's just me. I will. I will start a petition on Change.org to have our <laughs> Thanksgiving shifted to match yours. I'm pretty sure. Like I know that was a. Uh, well, I don't know. I inferred that being a pet peeve uh, of former co-host Simon Howell uh, when I would call it uh, fake Thanksgiving. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I'm I'm all for any holiday that lets people gather, uh, celebrate uh, the season, and friendship and family and eat a bunch of pie these are good things but this week we're not talking about thanksgiving we're talking about halloween and for our listeners benefit to pine uh do you want to let them know which halloween episodes we're gonna be talking about uh uh, sure well for we shall be talking about episodes from quantum leap uh brooklyn 99 as well as the uh the charlie brown short i do believe it's officially classified as a short film but um the the halloween special is the great pumpkin charlie brown yeah, which of course is the ultimate Halloween special, but one I had not seen in forever. And and from Quantum Leap, we'll be discussing the season three episode, The Boogeyman, and mm-hmm. uh, from Brooklyn Nine Nine, we'll be discussing the season two episode, Halloween Two. Yeah, with so Franz Bruheim. <laughs> We're gonna have a lot of fun with that. That's coming at the end of the podcast. Uh, before then, though, we'll go through a very like an insanely full week in tv the goal gentle listeners is to get the podcast under two hours i'm gonna do my best but this week we're talking about like 25 shows or something insane yep something along those lines yeah 
So yeah, that sounds crazy. about right, actually. Yeah. Before we get to that, though, a couple things we do need to mention up here at the top. First of all, over at Pop Optic, like I've mentioned the past few weeks, I'm going to keep mentioning it. While it's still running, we are running a fundraiser to help raise money to support the site and pay for uh, hosting fees and server fees and all that for the website. Um, this is when you have eight years worth of content, like 20,000 articles, and you have 200 and change episodes of the Televerse and 40 episodes of the Walking Dead, or sorry, of the Game of Thrones podcast and like 70 episodes of the Walking Dead podcast and what is it, 39 episodes of the Hannibal. These things add up to server space. So um, we we do, unfortunately, need to ask for our listeners to donate. And several of the Televerse listeners have donated. And thank you so much. I saw this week. I'm going to assume, Beth, that that was you. Beth, you beautiful tropical fish. And I should need to come up with a new one for you, Beth, because I know I'm getting a bit rep- repetitive with that one. Um, but considering it was from Tennis Ball, I was assuming that was you, Beth, uh, who donated recently this week. We also... Um, all four of the Televerse DVD shelf sponsorships have been taken. Um, thank you all. I've heard from Carl, who has requested Northern Exposure, which I'm super looking forward to talking about, as well as Glenn, who has requested Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. But that one has, I think, somewhere between 200 and 300 episodes. So you gave me a second choice of Andy Barker, P.I., which is a show I do very much enjoy. Uh, that one has like ten episodes. I don't. What, what should I do there, Defyan? Um, I, I, I would actually go with Andy Barker PI, but then again, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, with that, with that many episodes, I'm sure will also, will also be worth talking about. We should have enough content worth discussing. Do you think with so, three hundred episodes, I can have enough content? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the idea that Carl and Glenn have requested shows because yeah, did we fall into the Walking Dead universe this while is, I was looking? This is a thing that can that 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 is happening right now on the Televerse. I'm still waiting to hear from uh, Max. Greece. <laughs> <laughs> and Sasha. <laughs> I'm still waiting to hear from our two other DVD shelf sponsors. Um, please do reach out, guys. Let me know. I'll be emailing you shortly to, to determine your picks. But that's going to be a lot of fun. There are also uh, you can you can come on and co-host a DVD shelf with me uh, for a particular donation over at our Indiegogo page. There's a, somebody's going to come on and host a Game of Thrones podcast with Ricky and myself. And there's several other perks there if you want to if you want to uh, dictate content at the website or at least start a conversation about a particular film or TV show or uh, or, or comic or game. Um, then then those are some of the perks we have going over there. But we've been really floored by the donations that we've gotten so far, um, but we still have quite a ways to go. So thank you all so much uh, and for bearing with me through this this pledge drive <laughs> moment here at the top of the show. Um, and I know I, I fully understand not all, all of our listeners are able to contribute, um, but if you're not able to contribute financially, you can contribute by leaving ratings and reviews over in iTunes. And this week, I, I meant to mention it last week, and then I clearly missed something in my notes because I forgot to. Last week, I, I wanted to mention that we got uh, iTunes ratings from uh, back a while ago from A-S-C-H. I'm guessing it's like a first initial beginning of last name. I, I'm not sure. But thank you, sir or madam, for your five-star review um, of the of the podcast, as well as from Hal Jordan underscore GL. I'm assuming that's Green Lantern. 
Um, thank you as well for your five-star review. Very much appreciated. Ratings and reviews on iTunes do actually help other people find the podcast, and, and that do, that does help the site. So thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. I, normally I read some of it out, but they were just too nice, so I would feel awkward, so I'm not going to. So thank you very much, though. I do very much appreciate it. Um, but all that being said to Pyan, what's going on over at Top Optic right now that we should talk about? We have a monthly theme that's going to be getting a few articles this, this month. We do, yes. Uh, I do. Uh, the November monthly theme is uh, what are we glad for for television this year? So uh, we'll be highlighting, uh, on the TV side at least, we'll be highlighting um, the kind of things that we saw in the television season that we're, we're glad to have seen the the highlights, the things that stuck out for us in, uh, in terms of the television season, um, the, over in the movie section, they're, they're talking about, uh, James Bond in the lead up to Spectre's release. Um, and, uh, we just actually, the, the site as a whole just wrapped up their 31 days of horror, um, in which there was a lot of ranking of a lot of, um, horror films and horror moments and a whole series of things of that sort. Yeah, so lots of great content going up over there. I've got a few um, articles I'll be writing over the course of the month for the TV theme that I'm super excited about. Um, I'm just going to say it now so that I'll have to write it. There's going to be a peen on the screen article going up for TV we're thankful for this this year uh, from myself as well as a couple other a couple other topics that I'm looking forward to diving in with. Depayan, any that you want to tip your hand to, or, or are we going to have to wait and see? Uh, well, I'd like to keep it a surprise so that I'm not disappointing anybody, but I, I am interested in writing about the, uh, about how streaming content has, has risen over the past year, because I think it's been actually a very fascinating way to watch, to see how much Netflix and Hulu and the likes of them have just, uh, you know, have just bombarded uh, bombarded television with original content to the point that it's become impossible to ignore, apparently even by the Academy. Yeah. Well, so there's that to look forward to, maybe. Well, and on, on that note, we should get into our week in TV because one of the things I watched this week was I caught up with Other Space from Yahoo. So, yeah, a lot, lot, uh, lot of very good streaming TV this year. So on that note, and very intentionally not getting into this whole Star Trek streaming debacle, uh, let's let's take a break and come back with our week in comedy. We'll be right back after this. I have friends. I definitely have friends. No one can say that I do not have friends. I have friends. I definitely have friends. Friends, friends, friendly friends. Time to meet my friends. I'm Patty. The one. Jason and I'm super into Dance's Revolution. Girl with a mustache. Boy with Port Weinstein. Janitor who lives in an RV behind the school. I have friends. I definitely have friends. Oh, yeah. I have friends. I definitely have friends. Objectively, I can say that I have all the friends. I have friends. I definitely have friends. Friends, friends, friendly friends. Time to meet my friends. I'm Paula. Daryl. Lady who hit your car. Friend of friend from law school? Grocery clerk with half an eyelid. We have friends. We definitely have friends. No one can say that we do not have friends. This week in comedy, I'm going to talk a bit about You Are the Worst, Spooky Sunday Fun Day, uh, as well as Fresh Off the Boat. We're both going to talk about that. Miracle on Dead Street. Uh, then I'll, we'll both talk about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I hope Josh comes to my party. And because you have to, because they all have exclamation points. Defiance it's important. I, I enjoy that you gave that title the appropriate amount of excitement that 
was was conveyed by the punctuation. So then one of these titles is not like the other. Jane the Virgin, Chapter 25. Very different title scheme <laughs> over on Jane. Uh, but we're going to kick things off. Well, first of all, I, I want to mention Mom is coming back this week. Master of None is dropping on Netflix. And Adventure Time is back as we record. It's already back. But we haven't had a chance to see it yet. Very excited to have Adventure Time back. We're not talking about any of those this week because we don't have screeners for them. But we are talking about You're the Worst, Spooky Sunday Fun Day. And so I liked that they returned to Sunday Fun Day here. Um, I thought it was it, it worked well and because of the the discussion around Gretchen's depression, um, it, it kept it from feeling like going back to the well or just trying to cash in on what was such an effective episode in their first season. It made sense for Jimmy to want to try to recapture that magic and, and get her out of her funk. That is clinical depression, um, which is such a Jimmy thing to try. I really liked how the, the episode addressed that, uh, even if the solution that Gretchen comes up with to just let him think he's fixed her because uh, then he'll stop trying to fix her is not necessarily the, the healthiest. Um, it's definitely not the healthiest, but um, it, it felt very in, in keeping with the characters. It was really effective. I cash continues to kill it. Um, I thought she was fantastic in this episode. I thought the whole cast was, was very good here. And also the, just some of the visual elements, like the stuff with Lindsay as she's in the pit and we've got the Buffalo Bill guy, um, like giving her life advice, but never dropping the Buffalo Bill voice to give, you know, to actually give. So, so Lindsay's dealing with some stuff, uh, to Pian, and, um, and having to be an adult basically for the first time in her life and deal with things like bills and, you know, making sure that things get done on time because bad things happen. Like your power gets turned off if you don't have somebody else taking care of that for you. And for the first time in her life, she doesn't have someone else taking care of that for her. Um, and so she just kind of breaks down cause she's having such a hard time of it. And this guy, she's in this really intense, they're in this really intense, um, fright, like house, like haunted house thing where people interact and everything. You have to sign all of the waivers to do it. Um, so this guy's Buffalo billing her and, uh, and just starts giving her life advice and like chatting about it, <laughs> but all like in the Buffalo bill voice and costume the whole time. Everything you have said is making me question why I'm not watching the show. Exactly, <laughs> sir. Why are you not watching the show? Because I, I it's do amazing. not know. I have no excuse. Yeah. You, you and, like most of the people that I know uh, are not watching you're the worst. And again, this was another, it was a very good episode and um, yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a very good episode. So I highly recommend catching up with the show. The first season is very strong. Um, so for some people, it took them a couple episodes to get into it. I liked it from the pilot, uh, but the second season has also been very strong. And I think you could probably jump in from season two, episode one, if you wanted to like save time. Um, but if you don't, you know, if not, then you can just certainly you can start from the beginning and you'll enjoy it the whole way. But yeah, fantastic episode. Uh, also, I got to love any show that really captures what it feels like to have a costume that you assume everyone's going to get. At least, you know, most people won't get, but you hope there's at least like a handful this year for Halloween. Uh, I went as Amethyst from Steven Universe and I was like, okay. The people, I was like, okay, I'm going to a Halloween party with cool people. They'll know what it is. N nobody. They're like, adventure time? Um, I got an LSP, which I guess I'll take. Uh, but then 
I was like, okay, but the, the trick-or-treaters, like the kids on actual Halloween, like, they'll know because kids, right? And Steven Universe, not a one. Ouch. Not a one. Ouch. I was like, it's... I'm sorry. I guess that's what I get for not purpling my, like, my skin. I did the purple hair and I did the gem and I did the outfit and everything. But, oh, it's crushing. So I, when Jimmy is doing his ridiculous pantomime, like, character that only like nobody gets until the one person who does get it who is red flags galore for fans of the show um are they really capture what that feels like so i don't do, do you dress up for halloween sir i do not um unless you count putting on a scarf as dressing up ah oh, no not, fun Potter scarf yes i'm sorry <laughs> i I've, I've i've thought about dressing up before but i i run into the same fear as as what you experienced that people not getting my costume and me just standing out like a dork. So nah, see, but you just gotta embrace it. Be like, yeah, that's right. Nobody's gonna get my costume, but I know. M- make up a different character for every person who doesn't get the costume. There you go. That works as long as you're creative with it. But we're getting it's excited. Like, oh yeah, I'm playing Iron Man. <laughs> you're wearing your scarf. No, but it's Iron Man. Well, we are way off base. Uh, so let's go from my Halloween episode to our Halloween episode and talk about Fresh Off the Boat, Miracle on Dead Street. How was this episode for you? I actually enjoyed it quite a lot. And uh, speaking of costumes that nobody gets, uh, Randall Park's character not not getting the costumes that um, the children were wearing, Emery Evan or um, uh, Eddie were wearing, that, you know, just absolutely cracked me up every time. Not only that he was not getting the costumes, but that he was making up his own ideas of the costumes to pretend that he got them. I think this Halloween episode encapsulated very perfectly how I feel like Lewis and Jessica captured the immigrant experience to a degree that Lewis is Lewis is sort of optimistic and, and willing to embrace every aspect of it. And Jessica is in the mindset of, well, I have to work extra hard to be able to establish myself here. Um, so I, I thought the Halloween episode encapsulated that very perfectly, uh, while not losing sight of you know keeping things funny, uh, and and I'm also quite enjoying the uh, the growing sort of friendship between Eddie and Katie, and 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 this episode once again capitalized on that by having her come in to save the day at the end of the day with the um, with the investment property. I also really liked the um, just the theme of the the boys with the stupid put downs. They're just they're so lazy and terrible that makes them all the more aggravating uh walk yeah nice neck it's <laughs> what why yeah exactly uh, so i thought that was so effective uh and and again the co- the the costumes were great like the the lamb and the animal lecter was delightful um as well as like you said louis getting the like what is he something san francisco she's like carmen san diego uh, considering that was one of my Halloween costumes in college, I have a particular affinity for that one. Uh, but no, again, like you said, capturing the part, just the experience, like these different experiences around Halloween, um, were, was really effective. And yeah, it, I'm all, I'm I'm very on board for Fresh Off the Boat. They've had a really strong. They, they really have, and it's uh, no, I I it it feels like almost that um, Eddie public Eddie like the real life Eddie Huang per- publicly divorcing himself from the show has almost given it more freedom to not bind to uh, a specific idea of what it wants to be and instead try to explore these different ideas and i think it, the, the show has actually benefited from it quite a bit absolutely do you have any final thoughts on the episode or shall we move on to crazy ex girlfriends uh, i 
no, I don't, I don't have any any final thoughts except for the the traveling Wilburys joke somehow really got me that <laughs> he was so passionate that they should all be the traveling Wilburys of all things. And although I, I am surprised that no one brought up the Jackson Five, but then again, I guess in the nineties, the Jackson Five was already on their way out. Well, and the um, I the, I don't know how accurate this is, but because Blackish did that last year, <laughs> I don't know if that is why it didn't come up. Just because they didn't want to do something that, that Blackish did in last year. Because Blackish, of course, does have uh, really fun Halloween episodes as well. We're not talking about their episode this this week, but that was another fun Halloween episode. So, uh, yeah. But that's interesting. Um, let's move on to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, though, uh, because as much as I would love to be talking about tonight's episode as we record, we're recording. So I haven't seen it yet. I've just seen some of the amazing songs that we'll be talking about next week. But I Hope Josh Comes to My Party, last week's episode, was also pretty darn good and it was a really for me as a return to form from the pilot i thought this was a big step up from the previous episode at least based on the music and when we're talking about you know feeling awkward and everything i mean i have friends i definitely have friends i i actually played that uh at work for my coworkers, and they all gave me weird looks which only reinforced <laughs> the song's message for me that's amazing <laughs> How did you feel about this episode, and how are you feeling about the show so far? Um, I actually, I actually thought this episode is stro- is the strongest one for this season so far because it felt like um, the show was moving past Rebecca's just obsession with Josh, which I mean is entertaining on its own, but it's also um, it's sta- it's starting to give a feel for how Rebecca is settling into West Covina, kind of independent of Josh. Um, Kind of not, but kind of also. So um, for the first time, I think with this episode, I got a glimpse of how the show might progress beyond just the basic premise. Uh, and I and I definitely enjoyed all all three songs, especially I definitely have friend and I definitely have friends and um, a boy band made up of four Joshes, which credit to Vincent Rodriguez III about like being able to channel the Backstreet Boys so effectively. Yeah, and um, I I did see some people complaining about the extreme auto tune in the song because he can sing that you know that actor can sing uh but i I think it was so appropriate for the the style of the of the song that i was you know because i i'm i'm very much not a fan of autotune but for something like this i think the style is so much more important than actually getting to hear what a real person sounds like uh which is normally what i of course would prefer um that that it really didn't bother me at all here and and like you said this this while being still so centered around Josh is showing a community for Rebecca. And that is very important. But even just with Josh, this made him feel like a person for the first time when he just kind of, when he, you know, welcomes himself in and reassures her. It's like, and, and is so down to earth and supportive and, and then also fun and really embraces that. And she's like, okay, you want to go crazy, get a bunch of strangers in here and just have a crazy time. We'll do that too. It did a lot to humanize him and, and make you understand, yes, she's she's obsessing about Josh, not for who he is, but for who he represents to her and uh, as just this other thing outside of her life, outside of all these things that have made her unhappy. Um, but also, he's a nice guy. You know, like they're, 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 this really humanized him in an important way, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think... Uh... You know, it's it's. I think Josh kind of understands um, Rebecca's uh, that Rebecca's kind of on his tail, but he's also not the kind of person 
you know, he he this episode with this episode it showed that maybe he does deserve a little bit of of affection thrown his way, especially having met Valencia last week and seeing just how horrible she is and how she doesn't like humor and all those things. Um, seeing how Josh reacts this week to Rebecca's party actually, um, start, you know, not only humanizes him but also actually makes him a somewhat sympathetic figure. That um, yes, Rebecca's a little bit obsessive over over him, but also maybe he deserves someone who shows him the kind of affection that Rebecca shows rather than the kind of affection that Valencia shows. Yeah. And, and again, just this notion that y- you like this, this being an ultimatum in their relationship of you can't ever see this person. And uh, uh, like if, if Valencia trusts Josh, then, then it shouldn't be an issue. And then she shouldn't be making ultimatums on him. It doesn't seem like it's very healthy. It being portrayed as being a very healthy relationship or a very um, actually meaningful, rather, but rather one that felt safe. Because Josh, well, we know. I mean, I'm again. I'm reading into this too much because that's what I like to do. But we know that Josh went to New York and basically got scared and ran home after like eight. Was it eight months or something? Yeah, something like that. And, I think. Yeah, I think eight months exactly. And then settled back into, we don't know what his job is, but it's clearly not something particularly um, demanding because he's got a lot of free time. And he is, he's, is he, does he work at the bar? No, I think it's only, it's only um, the it's guy only who works at the, yeah, it's only the bartender. Um, I don't think, I, I, I don't think I've seen any of the other ones work because when Josh popped in, he brought in white Josh with him too. So mm-hmm. I don't think any of them really work per se. Yeah. And he settled back into a relationship with his high school girlfriend um who he basically cheated with <laughs> rebecca with um so like just ran away from he got scared and ran home and ran away into something that felt familiar and comfortable but ne- isn't necessarily meaningful uh so i i think they've they're actually they've actually done a surprisingly good job of uh, of fleshing him out and fleshing out that relationship without giving it any time um so yeah like i said i thought this was a really fun episode and i continue i just, i just can't wait to to use settle for me which is in the next episode we're gonna talk about it next week on the podcast because it's so fantastic but i don't want my love of that to overshadow just how dark and awesome a song like i have friends is and how relatable Oh man, how relatable that is! It's just um, the the funniest part for me for that song was Rebecca's friend, a friend from law school, and the perpetually confused expression he has just throughout the whole song. <laughs> it's like, why am I here? Yep, pretty much. No, that's that's yeah, delightful. And and I liked meeting her weird neighbor, by the way. Just you know, who who's just coming to the party to study them. Uh, there's a lot of fun there, and of course, also the the her friends' uh, kids and everything. Like when she's in her kitchen and she's not all made up and she looks like a regular person, um, like a little choice like that says a lot about the show and its priorities. And so having her look like she's at home lounging around the house is, you know, as compared to how constantly made up um, Rebecca always is, Um, even when there's nobody there to see her, it really contrast those two characters and shows the different places that they're at so there's a lot to really like about crazy ex-girlfriend and i'm just so glad that we don't have another yoga situation yeah it's actually like getting to paula's house threw me for a loop the first time around because uh, the, the actress looks so different 
um, in the house that I thought we were still in a commercial. And then there was a kid sharpening a katana at the dinner table. Like, nope, we're back in the show. <laughs> That's the show. Yeah. That is definitely the show. Uh, well, let's move on to our next show, speaking of, and that is Jane the Virgin, uh, Chapter 25. Uh, what did you think about this episode? How's this one working for you? Um, it's actually working pretty well. I, I, I really enjoy how the show is exploring uh, how the show dived back in. I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, as, as, as much as I enjoy Raphael, Michael, and Jane as, as characters, um, I wasn't too fond of focusing on the love triangle. So I'm glad this week they got back into seeing how Jane's motherhood is affecting her actual career ambitions and, and those kind of things, which is really what, what interests me more about Jane the Virgin. Uh, I'm, I'm glad they're back into that. And um, this whole subplot with Rose and her arch nemesis and Louisa, is I mean Louisa is a passive character once again, uh, but I'm I'm actually still interested to see where this goes because uh, maybe just to see who they have bring come back into play roles uh, to replace Bridget Regan. But but no, overall I did enjoy this episode a, a fair amount. Yeah, I thought it was fun, and like you said, the the stuff with Jane choosing between school and staying home longer with, with Matteo uh, was just like destroy your not even pull rip out of your chest your heartstrings so beautifully uh and emotionally played by gina rodriguez and to have it i love that they don't make it an easy choice and that they highlight that there isn't a correct choice there isn't a right choice and a wrong choice there's just a choice for jane to make um and that's the kind of choice that she will she could easily regret forever no yeah. matter what she picked. Um, and so I, you know, I, I also really like when, when her, when her mom and grandmother are, are, are finally, her mom and abuela are, are just like, no, you have to do this because l- look at that support system, Jane. You can, you're not going to get a better support system than, than Zoe and, and, uh, and Alma. Uh, yeah. so I, I was, I was very glad with her choice just from a narrative standpoint that it'll give, open up more opportunities for the show, which is why she pretty much had to choose that. Um, but, Again, I love that they really do give respect and time to both sides of the equation. Absolutely, and uh, you know, it's it's actually I think I think the the way the show definitely balances both humor and emotional moments was perfectly encapsulated with uh, Zoe telling Jane, "Oh, Mateo blinked two days ago." I, I didn't <laughs> tell you, which is I mean, it's, it's hilarious in its own right in the way that she just drops that bombshell, but it's also it also highlights exactly what Jane fears about. Uh, you know, going to school and and leaving Mateo at home, uh, but but no, you're right. It's she's in this kind of situation where she's going to regret her decision no matter what decisions he makes. And uh, I'm glad the show isn't giving us any easy answers per se, but it's also uh, allowing Jane to to pursue a, pursue choices that make sense in the character context. And um, that baptism speech was was absolutely Ooh. beautiful As, across those three generations. Just wonderfully, just so well done. Yeah, beautifully executed. And and might might I also doff the cap for casting of young Alma and young Zoe because they nailed that. And the performers too. Uh when we get everybody doing the hand of the heart moment as they read the letter that was passed down. So so effective and a truly and then the letter has to live up to that. You know, that reaction that that we get from young Zoe and from Jane. And uh, and it absolutely does. Like you said, beautiful yeah. moment. Absolutely. Well, let's move on. Unless you have more. But we've got a lot of shows. Let's, let's move on, shall we, to Other Space? Mm-hmm. Now, yep. I, I just caught up with season one this, this past weekend. It's on my list. By the way, listeners, if you have shows that you think 
are uh, underrated and that we haven't talked about on the Televerse and that I should see before the end of the year, tell me now so that I have time to catch up with it because you know, it's going to be crazy for the next uh, you know few months. So let me know now so I can start working on it because I've been whittling away. And the most recent one for me was Other Space because, you know, Simon, big fan of the, of the show. I, lots of other people I trust were telling me that it was a lot of fun. Um, so I had fun with it. Uh, where, where were you with this one? Did you watch it when it came out? I did, yes. Um, it was actually uh, the Yahoo show I was most anticipating. Um, I had of even Community and Sin City Saints, which I don't think anyone was anticipating, but moving on. Um, no, I, <laughs> I actually did enjoy Other Space uh, quite a bit when it came out. Um, I thought it had a top-notch cast who was really able to work effectively together. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of really sad to hear about Yahoo's forty-two million dollar loss because it feels like that's that bar that just shuts down the the possibility of any more other space seasons because, um, you know, which is a shame because there were so many places that that show could have gone or and hopefully will go. Yeah, I thought it did. It, it's really fun, and, and even just I watched it this past week, but it's already starting to grow on me. Um, which is, I think, always a good sign for a show that, as opposed to just disappearing from my memory completely, which is something that has happened with a lot of shows this year, just because there's only so much space, space in my memory banks for TV in 2015. But uh, it's already started to grow on my estimation over the past week because um, I watched it in like two days. But um, yeah, the, the relationships between the characters work really well. The performances, I think, are really fun. And 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 most of you know the characters that are less interesting on paper are elevated through the performance i i would say and through the show kind of just i love how it's just kind of left of center with the show cuz you the, the with the casting and the characters because you get these like this kind of nerdy guy um very beta lead as the captain but he's actually really good at what he does and he's captain for a reason and yes he's being creepy total creeper with this girl he's obsessed with but um he, and he is very passive aggressive and, and everything but then when the situation requires it he steps up and he actually demonstrates why he is the captain and why you know and that he can keep them safe at least for now but they also make him weird and awkward and uh <laughs> and so many other things i love the shit and they give that kind of shading to most of the characters and i also a specific thing for me is when they at the end of the the show towards the end of the show they reveal oh yes he's obsessed with this girl but also he's had boyfriends in the past too and and he's just kind of thrown off thrown off as a i haven't had a boyfriend in forever like ugh, it's been too long I, and just the show having that perspective it's just so different from what almost all captains especially male captains are supposed to be and are on on television shows um i really appreciated that as well as you know that similar kind of thing for many of the characters Oh yeah, absolutely. It's um, I I think uh, you know it it could have been in in the hands of lesser writers and performers. It could have very easily been two dimensional archetypes. But uh, with this with this cast and with these writers, it it uh, you know not just Stuart the captain, but I felt like everyone became just really effectively well rounded characters. Um, even even Dave Franco in his 
one Chad. and a half episode. Yes, Chad, in just his <laughs> little bit. And uh, Neil Casey's character, Kent, uh, I think is, is the perfect encaps- encapsulation of that. He could have just, uh, you know, in, in a different show, he might have just been this weird character that everyone makes fun of. But uh, he and uh, he, uh, you know, he becomes this really empathetic character who's who doesn't lose his weirdness. Like his weirdness is still odd, but he becomes empathetic despite that. And and just the way you know the way he interacts with the uh, with the uh, online with the uh, onboard computer system and everything. I'm I'm just dead with the names today. Uh, but just you know, I think I think Neil Casey's Kent character is is the is the perfect encapsulation of just how the show could have gone wrong and how it went so right instead. Yeah, I think that's a great example. I'm such a fan of of Neil Casey from you know the I've seen him in a million things. I'm sure, but the one that really popped him into my uh radar was playing house uh i think it's the pilot it might be the second episode of of playing house season one where he does this whole thing about gnomes and it's delightful um but no he's very good here um really everybody it's a very i would say very balanced ensemble it's just some characters are more broad i guess or they're all very broad that's not the right way to put it some characters really get to be quirky more like they're they're the Abed, shall we say, uh, of the show, and, and I think Kent is definitely one of them. But like Connor, Connor Leslie is doing fantastic work as Natasha too. Uh, just the 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 way that that character is is used throughout the show and given like these 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 traits over time and the way she interacts with various people, like the having the girls' night, I think is so delightful. With with Karen and Tina and uh, and and Natasha, so much fun, and you really get a very distinct, a very distinct sense of the different dynamics there. There's a lot to really like about this season of Other Space, and it's it's eight episodes, guys. It goes down so smooth. You can certainly you can watch this in a day. Um, the, yeah, it's, the, it's, it's eight episodes of half an hour each, so it's you know four hours of four hours of your time, and well worth it. Well worth it. When you uh, the next time you are looking for for you know you've got to i don't know sort organize a, a bunch of, you got to collate a bunch of papers or something you know you have to stamp a bunch of books that you just got from the store i don't know that's the kind of you know you can put other space on and really enjoy yourself while your hands do some mindless you know labeling or whatever uh, the last character i do want to specifically mention in performance is i really like karen and Bessarus plays that character. I love that they legitimately make her scary (laughs) and and psycho at times, but then also allow her to be much more than that as well. Like the whole thing, the whole show really comes together. And and I'm worried that I'm overhyping it for people because there's a sense of discovery that I think really helps the show as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So don't go in expecting your life to be changed. It's not going to be in my top 10 of the year. It's not probably going to be my top 20 of the year, but I'm still very glad I spent the time with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I I did also, you know, in addition to both Stuart and Karen's individual shadings, I really enjoyed the sibling dynamic they displayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like brother-sister dynamics aren't explored all that much in television. To see um, these two characters who get to grow independently, but also um, interact with each other in a way that makes perfect sense. You know, they support each other, but they also kind of resent each other and they're competitive. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it was it was fun to see that as well, and and the way their core dynamic makes up such an integral part of the, um, you know, the ship's crew dynamics is really fun to see. 
Absolutely agree. Uh, and I'll co-sign all over the place that there are not enough uh, brother-sister relationships that really get explored uh, on TV. Because so frequently, which if they have a dynamic like that, it just gets used to ring out a bunch of drama and there's like family secrets and everything. And um, Parenthood is a good example, was a great example of of this doing a show doing it that well. But of course they went off the air earlier this year. So it's hard for me to think of too many more. So RIP enlisted, RIP <laughs> Parenthood. I miss my sibling TV. Um, oh, what you mean? Game of Thrones doesn't depict uh, healthy sibling dynamics. Moving straight on. What wins your week <laughs> in comedy to buy in? Uh, I would say Crazy Ex-Girlfriend with its combination of I Have Friends and, and uh, Boy Band Made Up Before Josh's um, took the weekend comedy for me. It's uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, I was, I was really excited to hear that Rachel Bloom got a show. I was really excited to hear that it was on the CW. And, you know, this episode just, uh, you know, lives up to everything I was, I was hoping the show would turn out to be. And I'm really excited to see where it goes from here on out. Great. Uh, a fantastic episode, but I still got to give it to you. You're the worst spooky Sunday fun day um, that I would, you couldn't force me through that Halloween, like that haunted house they go through. Like, I don't know how much you could pay me to make me agree to, to, to subject myself to what they go through. Um, but it sure was fun to watch. So uh not even, not even with buffalo bill giving you life advice. no not even with buffalo bill giving me me life advice um, and on that note we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre so you heard from some folks that i ain't been true i guess you still get gossip in the clink it happened on one night as full of soco and lime When a pretty boy bought me a drink And he said, darling, you're too pretty to be sad And I said, mister, I needed to hear that real this week in genre, I'm going to talk about the the season two premiere of Les Ravenants, as well as the the premiere of Grim, the Grim Identity. I believe they're on season five at this point. Uh, then we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about the Ash versus Evil Dead pilot El Jefe, um, and then to Pine we'll dive in with the originals, A Walk on the Wild Side. I'll talk some Shield, four thousand seven hundred and twenty two hours, and then we'll both talk Doctor Who, the Zygon Invasion, the Flash, Fury of Fire, the Fury of Firestorm. Um, Arrow Beyond Redemption, and we'll round things out with iZombie. Even Cowgirls get the black and blues. But first up, Les Revenants Season 2. I apologize everyone out there for my French accent. That's five years of of high school and middle school French right there. And maybe even one, I think about a year or two of college. But it's it's terrible. So, uh, as a Canadian, are you more qualified to to do, to, to throw a little French out there, Dupayan? Not in the slightest. I paid very little i paid shamefully little attention in french class fair enough so no i i am i am much less qualified um les revenant was such a fantastic first season had such a fantastic first season um it started out really strong i wasn't a big fan of how it ended but uh it certainly created a fantastic atmosphere a very original idea and and or execution of an idea that 
a lot of people were exploring at a similar time and, and are still exploring now. It's been a while since it went off the air. I want to say a year or two. Um, and it's back. Uh, it's back now. That same atmosphere is there immediately with this season. I got to admit to being a bit confused as to what was going on just because it's been so long since I saw season one and they jumped forward in time. But, oh, man, creepy evil baby and uh, the the people getting lost in as they're driving and like, I don't know, walking under the water as like a portal to like this other. I have no idea what's going on at the parts of the show, but it's going on in a very beautifully shot and interestingly performed way. I'm glad to be back with these characters, at least so far. And um, I think I just also love that I'm so willing to go with this show that I don't really know what's happening, but uh, I'm I'm still glad that I spent the time. So Les Revenants is not like anything else on TV. And I don't know how invested I am in all of the the characters, but I certainly was very happy to have it back. Am very happy to have it back, and look forward to to following this season, even if it's not like this isn't the first thing I want to watch every week. But I, I'm still, as soon as I start watching an episode, I'm, I'm very immersed in the world, and they, you know, they're they're doing they're doing a really good job over there. Uh, with 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 uh, with with atmosphere, with mood, with cinematography, with uh, direction, and with dread, they're very good at dread over at Les Revenants. Um, so I'm going to leave it there for now and move on to Grimm, which had a season premiere, and I have still not seen a significant chunk of the back half of last season of Grimm, but I did want to want to check in on the premiere because I did used to review Grimm week to week. I don't know if you remember that, Defiant, but I did for a while. Um, I do, I do remember that. <laughs> it was Grimm and Hannibal used to be our Friday coverage before the Nick came along. Yep, yep. This episode, I thought, I thought it was a solid premiere. I really liked the way that they spent a like a third to half of the episode with all of the characters wondering if Nick has just gone insane when he says that Juliet, spoiler alert, everybody died in his arms and then uh, it was was killed by trouble after Juliet came to the house to try to kill him, even though everybody saw her apparently leave on a helicopter. And then these like SWAT guys showed up, took trouble, took Juliet and took his mom's head. Uh, and everybody's just like, mm, but are you sure? Cause there's no physical. Evidence. I love that, that you, despite us seeing it, they're, they're supportive of Nick, but they also know he's been, you know, like there's been a lot going on. Um, so I think that that, for the most part, gives an extra little bit of of, in, of interest and uh, a different approach than many other shows would take to that, which I, I thought worked really well. And I love how quickly, as soon as they start seeing what he's seeing, um, it, they come around and, and they're fully on board. I, I think they're building some interesting stuff uh, up as, as like an arc for the season with this like apparent war with with some Vessen faction or something I don't know how thrilled I or how interested I am in all in that moving forward but I certainly am interested in um what's you know the, the dynamic of what position that puts Monroe and Rosalie in and, and some of these other characters as well Liz, Liz was already really disappointed to see her go but I, I think that I, I'm intrigued with what her death that that mystery is going to bring so we'll see where that all goes but solid premiere i would say for Graham, despite 
my not having seen a lot of the buildup. So that I'm sure if I had, I'd be even more invested. Pine, you actually haven't even seen any Grimm, as I understand it. No, I have not. It's um, it it's just one of those shows that sort of, um, I I never started up, even though it looked very interesting, and then eventually the the you know the episode order became way the too intimidating to even try. Ketchup. Yeah, yeah, but. One that you have seen is the premiere or the pilot, I should say, for Ash versus Evil Dead, El Jefe. How did this work for you? And have you seen the films? I have only seen the first film. I have not seen the second film or the third film, a fact that is greeted with much consternation whenever I bring that up among um, cinephiles. Uh, But no, I have only seen the first film. Um, So I'm coming into this completely um, aware of uh, Ash's legacy only through pop culture osmosis. And what did you think? Um, I actually did enjoy it a fair amount. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, the, the humor actually really worked for me. Um, the effects, uh, the, the cheesiness of the effects, actually, I thought um, really felt like, uh, a, you know, really felt like honoring uh, at least the first film, which also had cheesy effects that nonetheless did work very effectively and were quite scary. Uh, because even, you know, and then um, just seeing people, just seeing characters like Jill Murray, you know, actresses like Jill Murray Jones and uh, Lucy Lawless pop up uh, had me, had me um, cheering inside. Um, and I think that would have been the case, even if Bruce Campbell was not as entertaining as he was. I mean, he's clearly inhabiting this character. Um, you know, he's clearly very comfortable playing this character. And it's, it's, you know, I look forward to seeing him playing it on a weekly basis. And I look forward to seeing how Jill Murray Jones does with a, a meaty, like leading role, which I think, which I feel like Sleepy Hollow really shortchanged her on, uh, you know, during her time on that show. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to have Lucy Lawless back and like, you know, taking no prisoners on, on TV as well. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, always love Lucy Lawless. And uh, that would almost be enough to get me to watch. Except that this is just not a show for me. This like I was watching it going. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are watching this who are loving this. Uh, but I just I don't find Ash charming. And I say that as a big fan of Bruce Campbell. Um, and I find Bruce Campbell charming, but uh, it doesn't work for me the way that I think it's supposed to and that everybody else seems to, you know, I don't have that connection with Ash. So, um, and I haven't seen any of the films because I'm scary or gross or tree rape. These are all reasons why I have not seen the films. But... Yeah, the tree rape is a very prominent part of the first film. It's um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, to the film's credit, it's not played for laughs, but it's it's there and it's yeah. I don't need that in my brain. I don't need to have seen that. No, I'm good. Um, but yeah, so like I said, this is one of those experiences watching where I was going. I can see what they're doing. Some of it's working for me. Some of it's not. This is not a show for me. So I, all I can say is tip of the cap. Glad that there's this kind of uh, tonal, like this kind of a show being out there just kind of makes me happy. But I am certainly, I do not int- intend or expect to watch any more of it. But I'm sure that most of the people I know who did watch it will watch the entire season and will probably love it. Well, where do you stand on, uh, like, I mean, if, if they take out Bruce Campbell's, if they take out Ash and they focus the show instead out on Lawless and Jill Marie Jones, would that make the show no. more enticing? No. No, yeah. because for me, Ash is the show. That's like, true. I mean, as, his name as I'm is watching, in there. Yeah, and it's not even, it's just like that, that's the personality and the energy. It all comes from Ash. Um, so 
I think I don't know that you can remove. I think I think if you had you hadn't started the show with Ash, then you could have. Yes, then you you could have a show in this tone with these people and everything, and with many of the same characters. Sure, but as soon as this is Ash's story, I don't think I don't think it could be anything else. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. It's I mean his his name isn't is in the title. There's. It, the show the show very clearly revolves around him no matter how much time it takes to focus on secondary characters it at at some point the meetup is is inevitable and it's inevitable that he's going to be the ultimate hero yeah that that much does that much does seem like pretty pretty well set up in the pilot yeah they're specifically coming for him so i don't know that that it would work without the, and again it's even more than that it's the energy that Campbell brings to the role and that, that that I know that 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 care that I know that that character has that people connect to so strongly in the films um I don't know that it would work without him but again like I said I'm sure lots of y'all out there really loved El Jefe um it's just not a show for me so unless you have more I would love to know what you thought of this week's originals a walk on the wild side with regards to the originals, I fell off the show during the second season, but I took your advice from the, the excellent article you wrote back in September about um, picking up on shows midstream. Oh, and I picked up on it um, from the beginning of this season again. And so far, I've been really enjoying it. Um, at the very least, just watching um, Daniel Gills, Gills, Giles, Gillies, Gills, Gillies and uh, Joseph Morgan do their thing reminds me again of why I enjoy, uh, you know, they they really bring the sense of fun um, to the characters. That's really fun to watch them week in, week out. And I'm enjoying this idea of the um, not only the sire line wars, but also seeing how, uh, you know, how uh, Elijah and uh, Klaus initially found out about the the full extent of their vampire powers and what they initially tried to do with that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, with this week's episode, taking the seer out of the equation, uh, actually I think does, does a lot, does, a, does the show a lot of favors because the seer could have been a um, deus ex machina, but they having taken her out, now everything becomes a lot murkier. And I enjoy Aurora just coming in and, doing things without anyone noticing, just wreaking havoc and walking out. I'm enjoying that little tag at the end of every episode. Um, this episode was no different in that regard. Okay. Th- these are words. These yes. are words that I know. I just don't have any context for them. Well, I'm glad, though, that you jumped in. Thank you for your kind words about that piece I wrote. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad you jumped in this season and uh, have been enjoying it. That's I always, I'm always glad when people especially a show that you may have liked and then you, you got away from because it, it, it wasn't working as well. When If if the show is able to re- regain that energy and regain that uh, momentum and, and and bring up the quality again, I always, I'm happy when people go back to a show if, if it is able to, to improve so that those those lost viewers uh, can, can find their way back. So I'm glad to hear that it's having a stronger season. Yeah, m- most definitely. I mean, um, you know, the, the lack of Rebecca does, does hurt the show, but... Uh, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the rest of the originals so far, and it's it's always fun to see. Uh, and and the dynamic between the between the characters is still as strong as ever uh, between the characters and between the performers. And uh, this is my first exposure to Riley Vocals um, Freya, and I, I think she's actually working really well in the ensemble as well. So um, as far as as far as replacements go for Rebecca, she's she's doing a good job. Okay. 
glad, glad to hear it. Like I said, uh, I'm going to jump to our next show, which is S.H.I.E.L.D., 4,722 hours, uh, which filled in our gaps about what uh, Simmons was up to when she got sucked into the obelisk at the end of last season. And I know that you haven't seen this, Defiant, so this is going to be a bunch of, again, me saying words that you don't know, but hopefully some of our listeners do. Um, I thought this was a really fantastic episode for S.H.I.E.L.D. and specifically for, for Lily Henstridge as Simmons. It really let her shine and she made the most of it. Having a different title card come up for this alien planet was, I thought, a fantastic little flourish. And there's a bunch of them. I think having that, that blue wash across the screen um, for the alien planet when they're above ground works very effectively the the baddie is ominous and very much unseen it actually reminded me a lot of some of the stuff we got on lost with with danielle and the sickness this like can we trust this other person's perspective that the other people came back wrong or did they just go crazy and kill them Um, i thought that that was very effective um well done there's some wonkiness that does not quite work. I'm sorry, Mr. Astronaut, you, you who is like, what, 35? You have not been there for 15 years uh, after being a, uh, a NASA astronaut. That's not how that works. But uh, whatever. They wanted to have a, a cute love interest for, for, for um, Simmons. Fair enough. And they had good chemistry and it did, did work. So I'll give it to them. But I, I like maybe he's a child prodigy astronaut. At the sure. Age of nine. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that's what happened. Um, the the again the use of color was effective. The performances were good. The writing was for the most part very good. And just taking this this full episode to spend there was very effective. And then to come back and have Fitz just be Fitz and and not respond with you have a boyfriend on this other planet. <laughs> But he spent the first however many months pining after me. Why did you hook up with this? To have his response be, okay, we need to go get your friend. Because he's Fitz. And that's who he is and what he does. Um, yes, that could just seem like it's, oh, he's random. He, he's um dependable, good guy. Not, you know, like, as opposed to, like a bland character choice and a not interesting character choice. But I actually think it's very in keeping with what they've shown of him through the show they've they've earned they earned that moment so it's not doesn't just feel like a manufactured oh he's such a good guy that it's that is that is who Fitz has always been um and I thought it it was a very um very effective end to the I keep saying effective a very well done end to the episode um I look forward to I'm sure that they'll get back there by the end of the season I look forward to when that happens um I don't anticipate happy things when that happens but um I like that they saved whatever this other malignant force was for that. We we don't know much about it. And so when that comes back, they can explore that much more. I think that, again, that, that looks like it's setting up some good stuff. So basically, S.H.I.E.L.D., well done, still enjoying it. Um, and this was a standard episode, so I had to mention it on the podcast. But let's move on to Doctor Who and the Zygon invasion. Were you happy to see the Zygons back? Were you happy to see Osgood back? Yes, I was actually happy to see Osgood back more than more than the Zygons. Uh, I enjoyed Osgood. I always felt like, um, you know, she she would uh, she's on that ever growing list of people who would have made good companions for the Doctor, but never Got ended killed up killed off uselessly. Yes, exactly. Even though even though the way the Mistress took her out was appropriately did appropriately show just how menacing this new incarnation was, but you realize regardless. that's like the definition of fridging, right? Yes. 
Not 100% agreed. But at least they brought her back. So, unfridging, yay. Yay. As Moffat's issues with uh, female characters is well documented. I don't think I can add anything more to that conversation, but... No, uh, no. Glad she's back though, and they they yeah, did well, at least one of her. One of her. They did seem. To, I think they earned it pretty much by showing just how affected she was, and I'm guessing there's a lot more to come with that um, in the next episode. But how how the Osgood we have, uh, just how affected she was by that loss, um, I think really helped a lot with this. Uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel though about this. Oh, that was the old rules. Now we can be now. Now the Zygons don't need like. Why do they need to create a new set of rules for every alien that they bring back? Every time they bring it back, there's like like the Weeping Angels has happened like three times where all of a sudden it's new rules. Why does it always have to be new rules? I think they I think they forget their old rules, so they're like, no, never mind, we're just gonna make up new rules. So if anyone calls us <laughs> out on it, we'll just be like, nope, new rules. Fair enough. I'm ninety percent sure that's the situation. Um, I really enjoyed in this episode getting to see Jenna Coleman play evil at the end. That was very effective, and it just looked like she was having a blast. Did you have any other highlights to this episode? Uh, well, no, I, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. I, I thought the Zygon invasion, the way they showed them uh, meticulously taking over everything, was actually very well done. Uh, I enjoyed that just that chaotic shot of New Mexico at the end where Osgood does get kidnapped by them. Um, although, I mean, after seeing two episodes of Shilda uh, slash me, uh, you know, I can't help but wonder where she is during the Zygon, invest- uh, Zygon invasion, which I guess is the curse of Doctor Who. Um, the minute there's a world-changing event, you wonder where all these stalwart characters still are. Yeah, that's a good point. Is she somewhere... As well, because I can't imagine Annie Zygon taking her out at this no, point. One hundred percent, like she will not be taken out. But at the same time, I can't imagine her just like standing in the sidelines and and letting this all play out without getting involved in some way as well. So, uh, fingers crossed that Doctor and Osgood actually try to contact her uh, in the next one. But I guess that depends on how many contracts, how many episodes <laughs> Macy Williams' contract allows for. Yeah, I would be very surprised if that were to happen. But you know what? I would not be surprised about. I do. I do not think that um, Kate has been Zygoned. I think that's a, a ploy, and and that Zygon and her have teamed up. And maybe just it's the fondness I have for that actress, the, the American uh, that she's interacting with, who's again. I apologize, whose name escapes me. We're having a terrible week for names on the podcast here, but uh, she's been. She, I, I associate trustworthiness with her, and maybe that was a ploy. Maybe they're using that, and she, we are supposed to think that Kate is in jeopardy. But I, I don't know. I think it's a mislead. Yeah, it, it, it might very well be because, um, you know, as as Osgood as Osgood indicates, there are still good Zygons out there. I can't imagine that every single Zygon that's left now is is, uh, you know, is out for blood. There have they have been living peacefully for quite a bit of time. Uh, you know, there have to be people who still want to maintain that kind of, well, Zygons, who still want to maintain that kind of peace. And at some point, they are going to team up with whatever's left of unit, I have to imagine. Yeah. I also, my last thought on this is that it does seem kind of stupid to me that um, you just assume this put 20 million people, aliens, in you know, interspersed throughout the, the human race. I'm sure they'll never decide they like that they have a problem pretending to be somebody else always uh it just seems like a such an obvious flaw that um it, it feels a bit lazy in the writing or or just like you know pay no attention to that 
obvious ish flaw in your treaty in the corner? I um I honestly was uh, you know I I had completely forgotten that the the, the uh, that 1011 had promised to remove the um had promised to remove the mind block that made them forget which who was human and who was Zygon. Um because I thought it would make much more sense to keep that intact so that you wouldn't know who was human and who was Zygon until someone died. Yeah. I I think that would that would help the peace treaty be much more effective because if you don't know that you're a Zygon per se then then how then you wouldn't feel inferior you wouldn't feel like you're being someone else. Um, so, yeah, but that I, mean, I don't know. I think that yeah, that opens a whole different can of worms. Yeah, that it? that does yeah. that does. Um, it's just so so foreseeable. So I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they want their solution to be, but it seems like can't the doctor just like I don't know take all these people, get like load up the TARDIS and take them off to their own planet somewhere unpopulated planet and drop them off so they can have their own planet. It sounds like that's what they want because they say they don't want to hide. I don't know. We'll see. This yeah, well, is still I mean, to be yeah, continued. Yeah, there has to be some kind of coexistence treaty that can be made with like humans and Zygons living together with Zygons in their natural state. There's there, there's there's got to be something that can be worked out if they would actually sit down and negotiate. I say that with like, <laughs> hundreds of wars breaking out all over the world among humans themselves unable to compromise. Well, and you know what? I got to take that jumping off point to transition us to our next episode because you were talking about peaceful cohabitation. And this week on The Flash, we had the Fury of Firestorm, and Victor Garber needs a new uh, you know, fire-flying buddy. How, what did you think of this episode? Um, I, I did enjoy it a fair bit. I, um, I do wish we'd spent a, li- like a couple of episodes with him before he finally merged with Victor Garber to become Firestorm. Uh, but otherwise, otherwise, I did quite enjoy the episode. Um, I did enjoy just a giant shark coming out of nowhere at the end of the episode. Um, and I'm actually really excited to see what Harrison Wells 2.0 brings to the table. I really liked um, finally getting to see, I think this is the first time we got to see um, Barry doing the, hi, I'm over here. Now I'm over here. I'm over here. Like being his smart aleck annoying self. And that might be more a Wally West thing than, than a Barry Allen thing. I don't know the comics well enough to know that. But it was fun to actually, because he's intentionally making the villain of the week angry. Uh, I thought that was such a, a fun way to work in that thing that the Flash is so known for. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's it's good to you know it's it's you know it's been pointed out ad nauseum around around the internet about how um, this version of Flash actually this version of Barry Allen actually enjoys having fun with his powers, and I think that was that was a perfect encapsulation of that. It's uh, you know when when uh, when Cisco tells him to cut loose and make uh, make the guy angry, he's he's all too happy to oblige, just being his little smart alecky self, just enjoying his powers. That oh, I'm faster than you, and watch how much faster I am than you. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's always fun to watch uh, Barry cut loose in that way. Uh, any thoughts on on Iris and her mom? Um, Iris actually getting to prove her journalistic prowess is very encouraging. Um, and I'm I'm interested to see where this mom goes. I I was kind of you know my 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 prevailing theory is that this mother is from Earth two, and maybe in Earth two Iris and Joe are dead, and so she's hoping to reconnect with her family, unaware of what uh, her Earth one counterpart has done, or maybe she is aware and she's trying to make amends anyway. Um, so that that's my prevailing theory there. Now, Wally West, Iris West. Yep. Is Wally Iris's brother? 
I I would imagine so. At least at least half brother, if not full brother. Uh, but then the question is that if he's Wally West, then that would mean that he is Joe's son as well. Otherwise, there would be no reason for the yeah. last name in him. Yeah. Uh, so that would make him. That would be pretty huge. That that would be pretty huge. But then it would also, you know, th- then the question comes up: Has has uh, you know Iris's mother been a single mother raising this kid all along? And was she that that night that um, Iris called the cops over? Was she overdosing on drugs, or was she, um, you know, suffering some side effects from the the pregnancy? Or that brings up a whole that brings up a whole series of questions. If Wally West just turned out to be Iris's full brother as opposed to just a half brother. Yeah. Anyways, I I don't know anything about this stuff because again, like I said, I don't know the comics, but uh, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Yeah, yeah no, uh, I I don't know much about the comics either. So I guess the, the, all of this is, you know, all of this is pretty new, and so I'm excited to see how the show actually deals with it, uh, especially now that we have two flashes. We have both, um, you know, both Barry and Jay Garrick, mm-hmm. who who I'm actually really I'm actually really enjoying Teddy Sears in that role as well. Is it how where are you coming down on on that? Character? Oh yeah. Very good. Such a really strong performance selling a character that should not necessarily work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, let's move on to our next show, and that's Arrow Beyond Redemption. Um, what do you think about the, the drama of are we or are we not going to kill not Sarah? <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know. Besides, given- you know. There's a spin-off that she's on. Yeah. A, a, there's a spin-off that she's on and B, there's a major character from NBC that they're bringing back next that they're bringing back next episode. Um uh, but I'm I'm actually glad to see um Katie Lost back on the show and I'm I I'm enjoying her sort of feral um you know feral almost uh, a, you know animalistic almost not human behavior. Um so you know anything that gives Katie Lost more range to play is is fine by me. Um, I, on the other hand, actually this this week I really enjoyed watching um, Captain Lance and on Oliver sort of switch tables in terms of who takes who gets the moral high ground and like the justified moral high ground. Um, that to me was the highlight of the episode. Absolutely agree. And um, the the this conversation we get with Ollie being disappointed in Lance, I thought, yes, he's one to talk, sure. Uh, that's Captain Secrets over there with his hood. Um, but I did think that it that it it was effective, and it shows just how much, you know, like so many of our favorite uh, genre heroes, he's got so many daddy issues going on. Um, and so, so really highlighting that the important role that Captain Lance has had to Oliver, uh, whether or not Oliver even realized it until this moment, until it was that, that faith was tested. Um, I, I thought that was very effective. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think to a degree, Oliver always did know that, that Captain Lance, despite all his disappointments and despite everything, I think Oliver to a degree always did look up to Captain Lance and always um, took his chastising without fighting back to a degree because he knew that Captain Lance was right. And, um, but then Lance working with Damien Dark does throw all of that into doubt that if, uh, you know, if Captain Lance, when push comes to shove, gets down in the mock and fights, then who truly has the has the upper ground? Um, did you have any thoughts on Lexi Alexander's direction for the episode? Um, honestly, I was multitasking, so I uh, wasn't watching as closely as I should have been. I was folding laundry at the time, um, but I I enjoyed it. I, I it didn't stand out to me, but um, I thought the episode, like I said, a scene like that working, it shouldn't 
necessarily work. That's a combination of performance and and writing and direction and editing to 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 get that and scoring and so much more to to make a scene like that really pack a punch. Um, and and I mean, because because Oliver has been like that could easily come across as petulant and unearned and you're one to be judgmental here you've how recently were you kidnapping uh wives and babies so let's not maybe throw so many judgment sticks around here but um but judgment th- arrows uh, of course um but i did think it, it did um, seem like that did really work um some of the stuff we got did really work and that um to me is a sign of a director doing their job yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of I, I did enjoy the action sequences as well. I thought it was very well done between the anti-vigilante task force and the vigilante team. Um, mm-hmm. So for my money, I'm hoping Lexi Alexander comes back to hopefully direct some action sequences that involve Katrina Law and Katie Lotz in, in future episodes. Yes, please. Yes, most <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I, I was a little disappointed that I, it seems like this is about all we're going to get from Rutina Wesley. Um, which is uh, maybe not, maybe she's kind of come back now that she's like stepping forward and she could be redeemed or whatever and come back. But I'm a big fan of hers, um, from her work on this past year on, on Hannibal, which was so impressive. So I'm hoping that she gets more. Yeah. It's a, Arrow has got this table of, of supporting characters who deserve more and haven't been able to get more. Um, Katrina Law is right at the top of that list as Nisal Ghul. Um, and uh, there's, but for for my money, it's always been Jessica DeGaulle's Huntress. Um, the way they left her in season two, there's a really fascinating position for the character to jump off of. And um, the, it doesn't seem like they've capitalized on that for whatever reason, either for the writing or just because maybe the actress hasn't had time. But Rutina Wesley is definitely on that list as well as a character um, who's, you know, she's obviously capable of fighting. She's obviously does care for the city. Um, she's just concerned about her own well-being. And I think there's, there is definitely potential for her to be redeemed and to be a valuable part of Team Arrow um, if they can actually figure out a way to, to bring her into the fold. This is a show that's not afraid of reworking and um, integrating characters who theoretically shouldn't be involved anymore. So uh, I, I have no doubt that if they want to, they can they can make it work. I'd love to get know what you think of iZombie, because for me, even Cowgirls get the black and blues. I've not been on board with the season or the show as much as pretty much everybody else I know who all love it. Uh, but I was very very glad when we got to the end of this week's episode and we i'm like okay this the stuff they've been giving major i'm really glad that they're giving him stuff but i need it to end soon so when he got that call from the 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 evil roommate who's what she's steven weber's daughter right uh and most definitely like uh, i got the impression that she's his illegitimate daughter and yeah she's aware that she's his illegitimate daughter and she's probably holding that over his head maybe yeah, when 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 he got the call from, I was like, oh, how many more weeks are we gonna? And then instead, they finally bring that character back to to live, at least to, to try to get help and move in a different direction. I'm very glad, uh, even if I wasn't bowled over by much of this episode, I did really enjoy uh, the ending. What did you think of this week's episode? Um, I I actually enjoyed the episode. I I felt like Liv didn't get a strong character to play with as she did with the uh, with the frat boy and the. Um, Real housewife, but um, even at the same time, uh, 
and you know i i did i did enjoy the episode as a whole although uh, unlike you i did i did kind of wish that we had seen the major majors um utopian utopian binge go a little bit longer because i felt like as it stood it it felt a little bit too rushed that um he's he's addicted to utopian and then two episodes later he's already uh, you know he's already ready to open up to live but but at the same time i think there's a lot of potential for the show to go from there on out and i'm i'm interested to see where exactly they go um, see that's the difference for me i don't know that i think he's addicted to utopium i think he's just really depressed and so he was using it a lot yeah but i mean utopium utopium is a like a madly ad- addictive drug, right? I mean, that's sort of okay. what Blaine is is capitalizing his whole thing on. I don't see how how Major could take a little bit just to take the edge off of, you know, having to kill zombies and not get addicted to it. Okay, I think I need if they wanted, and it's very. You're, I'm sure you're right because you're you're more uh, into the the world than I am. I'm sure I'm probably missing some details from last season that I'm not remembering clearly when they were talking about Utopium. Um, I think I needed to see him like in withdrawal and to see some other stuff um, for me to make that connection of it being not just a self-destructive spiral of like th- like this version of a much riskier drinking way too much kind of thing. Um, but I, I'm like I said, uh, we'll see where it goes. And it's very maybe that's what we're going to get next week. Yeah, 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 quite possibly. I do enjoy like how this season is setting up um Liv. I mean, Liv was just in way over her head even dealing with Blaine last season and um this season with Vaughn and and Gilda it's very obvious that they're much more formidable formidable enemies and I enjoy this um you know, I I do enjoy how the season is setting up Liv as like this bit player almost who's who's in this world now that is much bigger than she can possibly fathom and um, how she sort of ekes her way out of it. She she's in many ways pretty much sort of the ultimate survivor. Unlike, you know, uh, you know, it's easy to maybe try to draw parallels to um, Veronica Mars, uh, Rob Thomas's last protagonist. Uh, but Veronica was very aware of the world she was in, and she was very savvy in how to navigate it. Um, Liv, on the other hand, just you know, it's it's so obvious she's in over her head, and she doesn't know that she's in over her head, and that sort of makes it very exciting to see how she will deal with these kind of things as they pop up. Um, yeah, I I agree with that. Um, the sorry, I just was thinking of of Minor. I love that the, that Ravi named the dog Minor. Yeah. Ravi is a, just a treasure. It it uh, actually took me a second to get. It actually took me a minute to get that, but when I got it, it's yes. No, that makes yeah. sense. It's delightful. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. Stephen Weber uh, and 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 the the Gilda character make for much much more interesting uh, antagonists, and uh, this kind of rabid zombie thing that we see um, being tested out in the basement could certainly escalate nicely for the season for their for their arc and their threads. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess it just for me, I'm just not as interested in the case of the week stuff for me it dominates too much of the story and affects the character too wildly so then i i I end up not feeling as connected but i do understand why y'all love love i zombie and i you know it's a very very likable cast um and very uh likable show so i'm glad that it's that it, it does seem to be doing well and does have so many fans Okay. Um, let me ask you this: Where do you come down on the character of Peyton? Because I'm, I, I feel sort of conflicted about the character. So I'm curious to see if, if you have any thoughts on her. Oh, I like Peyton, and I like the way that they bring her back here. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, and, and I really like that they 
treat her with respect by have by validating her, her experience, but also having her be aware enough to think about what everybody else must be going with, going through and dealing with. So that I think that shows a lot of, instead of just having her come back and she's still wrapped up in, you know, you told me all these lies and everything. Mm. Um, I, that shows her as a very thoughtful person and a very self-aware person, which is almost always a way to get me to like a character, make them self-aware. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's very obvious where her friendship with Liv comes from, um, even pre-zombieism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she brings a warmth that I think is really nice to see with Liv that we would normally get from, from Major if they were in a better place, but they're not, so we don't. Yeah. Um, so I do think that helps the show. And uh, with her as like running the, ta- the task force, mm-hmm. that I kept waiting for her to end up arresting major or something so um i'm i'm glad that so far they're not going there but um but no, i'm glad she's back yeah yeah i'm, I'm glad she's back too and i, I feel like this season storyline feels a lot stronger than um last season storyline although um i i do find it quite amusing that every time they reference peyton um some character has to always point out how beautiful she is <laughs> I, i'm uh, it, it even happened this season with gilda just like having a 30 second monologue about how beautiful Peyton is. And I'm just, I'm not sure if that's a thing, if that's a character thing from the comics or if that's like in Ali Machalka's contract that nope, must point out how beautiful I am kind of thing. Well, I figure it's just one of those things. If it's not funny to you yet, they'll just keep doing it. And eventually it will become a really fun recurring gag. Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. <laughs> uh, if, if that's what they're going for, then they're certainly going in the right direction because it is already <laughs> getting funny. Okay, good. Glad to to hear it. That's that's nice to hear. Um, well, what wins your week in genre, sir? Uh, what wins my week in genre? I would actually feel like going with Doctor Who because uh, the Zygon Invasion episode was actually uh, quite a thrilling hour, and I'm really excited to see what the second half brings. So that would be my pick. Yeah, it's it's a certain certainly a contender for me, as is Shield. This week, but I'm I'm gonna give it to to Le Revenant, because um, I have no idea what's happening, but but so much like I said before, so much atmosphere, so much dread, and um, even if I don't, I don't know if I care what's happening, but I'm certainly going to keep watching. So Le Revenant premiere gets the weekend genre for me, and now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our weekend drama. This week in drama, I'm going to give a mega roundup of shows, and then Japayan is going to give a roundup of uh, the the Strike Back Double 
double power hour here of the player, the Norseman, and Blindspot Seed Your Soul. And then we'll talk a bit more together about The Affair, um, Season 2, Episode 5, uh, or 205, as they're titling them. Um, but here at the top, uh, we don't have a lot of overlap in drama, so I'm going to just kind of run down some of the highlights for me in this week in this week's TV, uh, drama TV. And um, I will do... I will keep it spoiler free because I'm not putting chapter breaks in this this segment. So here's Kate's and, and Depayan, you got to time me on this. Okay. Five minutes. Starting, starting now. Got to mention the leftovers. No room at the end. Fantastic episode. Uh, yet again, leftovers knocking out of the park. You give Chris Eccleston, uh, Christopher, Chris, we're buddies. You give Christopher Eccleston a spotlight episode. He will make the most of it. Um, just like he did in season one. Fantastic here. I got to get tip of the cap, peen on the screen um, in, in 15. Leftovers really doing a lot of the heavy lifting here, along with a couple other significant shows to, to work on quality in representation in all ways in American TV. Um, but yeah, fantastic, really gut-wrenching stuff. And I can't wait to see what comes next for those characters. And I doubt we will for quite a while. Um, but again, tone, I mean, Brett Butler, Brett Butler, she shows up as, as this, I don't even know how to describe her character, but she, it was fantastic. Such a wonderful casting choice. Uh, so good. Love, love, love the leftovers this week. Fargo, Myth of Sisyphus, again, another really fantastic episode. I'm, I'm very engrossed by this show and the, the world it has managed to create. And, and the fact that I, I do think that this season is so much stronger than the first season. And I really like the first season. So they're doing very good work over there. I love what we get um, with the standoff between the, the Patrick Wilson character and the Jeffrey Donovan character. That does work very well. Um, some of the... the exchanges about Minnesota nice and how you're not really actually nice. Um, great memorable dialogue and really this is the show that I can't fold laundry because it sucks me in and I get to the end of the episode and I fold two socks. So i uh, really enjoying Fargo. Another very strong episode. The Nick, the best of the best to get the best. Um, good stuff happening here. I, I, I like what they're doing with algae uh, and with, um, yeah, again, with the way that they're intersecting some of these characters is working very nicely. I like what we got with Birdie at the other the hospital. Um, I also, it's always fun when they bring up some of the more chilling elements of the time period, like all of this yay eugenics conversation that was definitely happening at the time. But another solid episode of The Nick. How am I doing on time? Uh, you have three minutes left. Okay, awesome. Uh, no, we actually have two minutes left. Uh, two and a half, roughly. Okay, next up is Limitless. Side effects include, and I wanted to mention this just because it was a very stylized episode. We had uh, our, our lead dealing with the side effects of, of the drug and um, going through withdrawal and trying to find a way out. And I thought that was, it's early in the show for them to pull that card, but I did think it worked very well and they, they really did pull it off. And I look forward to hopefully not getting another one of these for a while what they're doing with the bradley cooper character here you know having him come back and and basically say it was all a test um it feels appropriately kind of d douchey for that character it feels like it, it fits with what we've seen of that character but also um it makes sense and also gives them a reason for that to not happen again immediately so I like what we're getting there. I also like what we were getting with the Jennifer Carpenter character and uh, Mr. Antonio character as well. That that is that is working nicely. But like I said, 
I did not expect an episode like this so early in the run for Limitless, and I like that they're tackling these larger world building elements and uh, the the side effects of the drug uh, so early. So, so again, tip of the hat to Limitless, so much better than I thought it would be. Manhattan, another very solid episode. Checking in on the characters, I didn't talk much about it uh, last time, but the the Hickey and Justin Kirk spotlight episode we got in episode two of the season was fantastic and uh, i think they've done a good job moving back now to the larger group still enjoying manhattan kingdom broken or missing glad we're getting more female characters on the show uh last one here good wife basically this was uh jeffrey dean morgan is sexy and uh spoiler alert yeah this is this is a known fact so uh I, i i like that they didn't they aren't wait, waiting longer to to continue to play up that um, UST with with the Jeffrey Dean Morgan character and the uh, Alicia character. Uh, so that's that's clearly where they're going with that. I like that they're having fun with it here, and we'll see how that develops. But I'm, I'm tired of the Eli drama. But I'm I, Jeffrey Dean Morgan just being awesome is going to be fun. So I hope that we get a bit more of that, um, though not too much coming up soon on the good wife how am i for time uh you still have a few seconds left actually so So. i'm gonna i guess say you know what i'll say i'll say very glad to have marissa gold back uh she can only she's her being on the show is always a good thing thank you very much for bringing her back the good wife and that's how i'll use the rest of my time so depayan yeah and time i'm throwing it over to you thank you (laughs) so what did you think of the player uh, well, I actually um, I did enjoy I did enjoy this week's episode of the player, and especially in how they kept cutting cross cutting between um, between the Norsemen's um, carving the skull and um, having uh, having the player um, actually hunt him down. That being said, though, I am not a fan of how the show keeps putting its female characters in peril. Um, there was really no reason for the Norsemen to go after Alex Kane's. Um, you know, adopted, adopted niece, pseudo niece. I mean, I, I don't even know what his technical relationship is with the girl because it's Ginny's niece and Ginny and Alex were not married. So it's not even a niece situation, but um, you know, putting that aside, I am not really fond of how the show keeps insisting on putting um, its female characters in peril. Um, what I am a big fan of is how the show keeps giving Wesley Snipes um, one big action showcase every week. And I enjoyed that this week as well. Um, it's actually kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's almost amusing at this point how much stronger of an action hero Wesley Snipes is than Philip Winchester. And that is not a disparage against Philip Winchester at all. Um, it's just Wesley Snipes continuing to prove his actual action hero chops, which um, anyone who, was, who watched action movies in the 90s should be well aware of. Um, I'm enjoying the show so far. Um, I, it could be a, it could treat its characters slightly better, but uh, it is pretty fun to watch week in and week out. And as long as they keep giving Wussy Snipes um, good action sequences, I am pretty much in for the show. Glad to hear it. Okay, what about Blind Spot? See, this is the first episode of Blind Spot I haven't seen, so I can't give any thoughts on it. What did you think? <laughs> um, well, I, I did I did enjoy it. Um, although, uh, again, just like with most episodes of Blind Spot, I did see the twist coming from a while, from a while away. Like the minute uh, the minute they brought in the hacker and the minute she had a handler, I was like, nope, this this handler either doesn't exist or uh, is not working for the government. And both of those turned out to be true. Uh, the, the handler didn't exist and the handler's contact didn't work for the government. Um, that being said, though, the the main reason to watch the show continues to be Jamie Alexander. She's infusing this character of Taylor Shaw with this uh, emotional vulnerability and this just pain about not knowing her past uh, in a way that is really actually elevating my opinion of the actress as a whole. She's just um, 
absolutely nailing this this the complexity of this role in a way that I wish um, the rest of the show would elevate to match. Uh, that being said, I'm I'm still enjoying everything. But uh, this idea of uh, you know the, the tattoos are getting you know super convoluted at this point. Now there's tattoos within tattoos, and um, the different <laughs> shadings of the tattoos point to different things. And it's um, it's I, I I kind of wish they'd they'd drop the tattoo angle altogether and just focus on um, the story of Taylor Shaw, Shaw slash Jane Doe and how she's trying to adjust to this world where all her memories have been wiped because that to me continues to, to be the most compelling thing week in and week out. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree. Um, that is much more interesting, and the performance from what I've seen, the episodes I have seen, much more interesting than you know, tattoo of the week. But yeah, uh, it's, yeah. Um, yeah with, with this week, apparently the, um, the tattoo that's covering up her Navy SEAL tattoo is not just a cover up of her Navy SEAL of tattoo. Of course it's, it's not. It's more clues in and of itself. See, this is stuff I feel like the show should be doing in like when they're starting to stretch for content, yeah. like the fact that it feels like from what you're saying that they're stretching for tattoo ideas in season one and like episodes yeah. five or six. I mean, come on. That's like a season six thing where you're like, we thought we had solved all the tattoos in the season finale, but there was a secret one. It, it, you know, not only is the CDC building at Oak and Maple, but the mint is at Maple and Oak. Oh, the tattoo has double meanings. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, that's a little underwhelming, but I'm glad that, that the performance is holding up and that's really, the most important thing for that show, as far as I'm concerned. Um, any final thoughts on these, or should we move on to the affair? Uh, let's move on to the affair. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think I've pretty much covered everything I need to say about the player and blind spot. Um, Jamie Alexander is awesome. Wesley Snipes is awesome. Uh, put those two together in a show, and uh, let's watch that. <laughs> well, for the affair, you've been reviewing this over at Pop Up Dick. Um, how has the season been working for you compared to last season? Um, it's actually been working really well. Although I have to say, I'm I'm at the point where I'm. You know, I have very little investment in Noah's story, and I'm, it's it's almost at the point where I'm irked that he's getting the most coverage out of all the four characters. Uh, because to me, um, Helen and Cole and Allison's stories seem much, much more fascinating than Noah's story. Noah's story just seems like... Something yeah, okay. we've seen a million times before? Yeah. One, 100% took the words right out of my mouth. It's We've seen it a million times before. The character of Noah is not adding anything new. He thinks he's the victim, but at the same time, he's acting incredibly selfishly. Um, and and to, to me, at this point, if they dropped Noah's perspective and just focused on Helen, Allison, and Cole, I would, uh, you know, I would, I would be perfectly okay with that. Um, I loved the one scene we got with, with uh, Allison and Helen this week. It was delightful. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, and, and to watch... Uh, to, to watch them play off of each other and just Helen just is being a total bitch, unapologetic, doesn't care, has no fucks to give in that moment, and uh, so effective. Uh, like great to get to see um, to to see Moratini play that, and that's the kind of scene we wouldn't have gotten if we weren't getting um, these other perspectives. That's the kind of scene that when you get it from Noah, you can't trust it. Because no. of his, you know, and, and maybe you can't trust it from Allison either, but I really would like to see more of those two interacting. But because of how, they, how they've structured the story, I don't know how much they believably could do. Yeah. Uh, well, but you never know, though, because that, that scene to me is, is not only it's, it's entertaining to watch um, Helen just at that point just throw down with Allison, but it's also heartbreaking because 
I feel like the two of them, if if Allison was actually able to tell Helen what was bothering her, the two of them could actually have found some common ground in uh, how they both feel like they've been mistreated by Noah. So it's it's also heartbreaking in that sense. Uh, and so maybe the, the possibility is there that Allison and uh, and Helen become friends down the line. Well, except uh, that we know that they end up married. Allison yeah. and Noah end up married, and there's clearly bad blood with Allison and Helen in the future. So yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, but but at the same time, I mean, if if Helen patches things up with Noah enough to actually hire a high-priced lawyer to to help him get out of, you know, because at, at at the state that Helen is currently, it doesn't look like she's at the point where she would really care if Noah was on trial for murder. She'd just be like, okay, and and just move on with their day. But the fact that she's at the point in the future, or is that the present... I, I can't quite tell with the time, but the fact that when Noah is going for trial for murder, she's at the point where she's, you know, cares about him enough to actually hire a high-priced lawyer. I'm guessing 100% against her mother's wishes. Uh, shows that maybe maybe there's some reconciliation happening there. See, I uh, just assume that she's trying to avoid her name and her kids from getting dragged through the mud by association. So that's interesting that we have such different reads. Yeah, that's quite possible. I, I didn't actually think of it that way. I've especially been concerned that we haven't seen any of the children at, at at anywhere during Noah's trial. I have to imagine at least Whitney at that point is old enough to be at the trial without being significantly traumatized or anything of that kind. But uh, I think I think you may be onto something. That might also explain why the kids haven't been at the trial. Um, Helen's just like, yep, yeah, nope. Make sure make sure that he doesn't get accused of murder so that we don't we don't suffer as a result. And and that's really all I care about. Yeah, but it could it could be a lot of things, and they're yeah. playing it close to the vest. Um, so yeah, we'll see. But yeah, like I said, I, I'm really enjoying the the change in perspectives. I like a lot what we get with Cole this week. Um, the trouble I have with Cole is mm. that last season we saw him hold a gun to a kid's head. Yeah. So that it's like the show knows they went too far with that, and they're trying mm. to pretend that didn't happen. But you can't go to oh, I'm such a I'm so sad because I love my wife and she left me when you held or drug dealer who held a gun to a kid's head, you know, like, so I, I I think I just need to, but if I, if I just throw that out and that's something that Allison just got wrong, then Mm. because it's Allison that got that wrong, (laughs) I can't trust anything that she, I I mean, that's, that's where I kind of, I'm still having a little trouble with Cole stuff. Well, I mean, even this season, just, um, I, I think it was the second episode, just the difference in how Allison and Cole viewed their interaction. Um, I, it feels like Allison has a degree of fear towards Cole that Cole is absolutely not picking up on. But um, that also wouldn't explain why Allison would end up in the same house as Cole, even if she went back to Montauk. Like instead of going to see her grandmother in the hospital or um, going to see her, her friend whose house she was living in when she was having the affair with Noah in the first season – um, for her to go back to Cole when she's clearly, uh, you know, not 100% comfortable around him doesn't quite fit. And so I'm actually interested to see how that plays out from Allison's perspective. Like maybe she had nowhere else to go. So she kind of, uh, you know, she, she thought she'll um, she'll go to Cole and just, you know, nod along to whatever he's saying. And, and Cole mistook that for affection of some kind. Well, because he, he felt very predatory and and very threatening, physically threatening in the yeah. scenes we saw from her perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm curious about that 
for the scenes that we only see from one perspective, do you think we're supposed to take it that that is an accurate, that they would agree on that representation and that's why we don't see both sides? No, I think I think we see the scenes that we only see from one perspective indicates that those scenes were important only to one character, um, but not to the other, in the sense that uh, in the sense that one character had had a strong reaction to that, whereas the other character didn't. Um, that that that's how I understand the scenes that we only see from one perspective. Okay. Um, like especially the scenes of Noah and Allison having sex. Like Allison never seems to focus on the sex as much as Noah does. Which to me indicates that Noah is getting a lot more carnal pleasure from the relationship than Allison is. Yeah, and and we get that th- just through the the book that mm. we you know and yeah. and they've been really building to that very nicely over the course of the season where it's just they he's so much more dismissive of things with from her perspective mm-hmm. than than he he sees himself as this earnest person and she sees him as saying these offhandedly cruel things without even noticing it um so yeah they've been building to that nicely yeah most most definitely i think um i you know it's it's the the show should be commended on how they haven't shied away from making noah this just kind of this kind of this douche um even though even though he himself hasn't been aware of it uh the way the other characters keep picking up on it especially his kids um is is actually quite is is quite fascinating to see week in week out. Yeah, no, I I, I agree, and yeah. it's been for like I said earlier, I've said previously on the podcast, it's been a much stronger season two for me than season one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that this is exactly what they needed. They needed to do this earlier, changing up the the point of views, but yeah. um, yeah. Now they just need to drop no all together. <laughs> Fair enough. At least <laughs> give us a break from them, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it was actually very disappointing to see in the last, like, last week, uh, after we got both Noah and Helen's perspective, I was hoping that we'd get Allison and Cole, but then we had Allison's perspective, and then we jumped right back to Noah again. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, it's, yeah, no, we'd, uh, we're, we've we seen enough from his side. It's not, <laughs> give us someone else. Fair enough. Um, well, what wins your week in drama this week? Um. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, having seen very limited amounts of drama, I I will actually go with the affair. Uh, might as well because uh, just seeing just seeing how Allison breaks down um, after after reading uh, Noah's manuscript and after uh, you know and just watching Cole dealing sort of with Montauk and um, seeing Scotty's idea of of the nightclub and and how all of that plays out. It's uh, it's actually the Montauk story picked up steam for me for the first time this whole season. Um, so yeah, no, out out of uh, you know between the between the uh, the uh, strike back double power hour and the affair, I think my vote goes to the affair. Yeah, I fair enough, and I agree. The Montauk storyline we get here with Cole is much more interesting than some of the other stuff we've gotten. So yeah, that it's just the comedy moment of, of him p- pulling up his pants yeah. so quickly to get out of there. Yeah, it was nice. Um, I'm gonna give it to the leftovers. Leftovers and Fargo are fighting it out right now for me, but this week I'm gonna give it to leftovers. Um, again, I mean, yes, you can see the repent thing coming a mile away. But it still works when they do it, and that tells you just how well they're 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 doing things over at the leftovers. Uh, which I know it doesn't mean anything to you, Defiant, but to our listeners, it will. You know, although I mean, honestly, the first season of the leftovers was one of my favorite seasons um, of television in 2014. So I really have no excuse not to have caught up with the show, and it's just 
oh yeah, no, I, I the leftovers is back. But there's so much other there's stuff so on Sunday much. nights. Yeah, yeah, there really like, is. Sunday nights is just so packed, and it's like, and then you know, then The Walking Dead does a major episode, and then you're like, oh no, I have to catch up on The Walking Dead to figure out what everyone's talking about. And mm-hmm. Then yep. yeah, so yep. that fair happens. enough. Yeah. Well, now we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with our special segment this week, our holiday omnibus number two, talking about Halloween episodes. We'll be right back with that. shelf instead of doing a, a traditional shelf we are doing returning to a a fun segment with Depayan here Depayan Sengupta from Pop Optic uh, that's the holiday omnibus and last time we talked about Christmas episodes this uh, this time we're talking about Halloween episodes and we're going to kick things off with Quantum Leap's Boogeyman before talking Brooklyn Nine-Nine Halloween 2 and rounding things out with It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown now we each picked one and then we kind of jointly agreed on great pumpkin um so my pick was quantum leaps boogeyman because i was talking about it on twitter recently and i feel like quantum leap is an underappreciated show and i feel like um i i know i shouldn't say i feel like i know because uh, it's fact because that's how opinions work that quantum leap is an underappreciated show and i remembered this episode being really good really creepy and really good and then I watched it, and it's not very good. So um, there's one really effective scene, but it really it's really just kind of silly and and really of its time. And I'm sorry, Depayan. I meant to give you like a really spooky episode, and instead we got this. Um, what did you think of Boogeyman? And had you seen any Quantum Leap? How familiar are, are you with this series? I am not very familiar at all. I actually just know Quantum Leap as that show that um, Scott Bakula used to be on. Um, so this is actually my first exposure to Quantum Leap as a whole. And I have to say, though, um, I did quite enjoy it, even though the um, the Al, the Al um, hologram thing um, did fly over my head right off the top. It, it felt like the kind of thing that established viewers of the show would have caught on um, much more quickly. But I did actually enjoy the show, and I did enjoy the growing sense of dread and frustration as, as the murders kept happening around Beckett, and he was just unable to stop them, and he was unable to figure out exactly what was going on. Um, you know, and the goat kept popping up. I actually, uh, you know, altogether, altogether, I did, I did enjoy the episode as a whole. Um, even with the, even with the spinning at the end and the um, Stephen King twist that came from like ten miles away. Yeah, yeah, like it's it, it's a twist out of 
straight down home plate. It's not out of left field even a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's so it's, clear. You know, it's it's you know I, and I and I slap myself on the head for not seeing it the minute there was a kid in glasses named Stevie who showed up. But mm. the minute like Beckett starts talking about Christine, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh no, Stevie, Christine. Yeah, no, I see where this is going. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the show the episode didn't think you did because it treats it as a reveal at the end of the episode. But, um, yeah, there is some genuinely spooky stuff that happens in this episode. And because, yeah, as, as so, someone who's seen a lot of Quantum Leap for a DVD shelf we did back as one of the earliest DVD shelves we did for the podcast, um, it was, you know, as, as you're familiar with the beats of the show, it kind of lulls you into a false sense of security because you know that there are only so many guest stars and the bad guy's always one of the big guest stars and... That's how, like, you know how the show works. And so when we don't get the, the door opening with Al, if you might not notice that right away, you might just figure the show is editing around that, not showing that, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. Um, this, as I, as I understand it, this is their first introduction of this, um, counter to Sam, um, this evil version, this evil leaper. Um, who has uh, these other abilities and stuff and is trying to undo the good that he's done and vice versa. So having a, it does kind of, it does really change some of the direction of the show where it's no longer just writing quirks of history, but it's, it's more a active confrontation or, or struggle between these two opposing large, potentially larger forces who are manipulating situations to get them to leap into particular time periods or, or whatever. Um, and for some people, that's a good thing. For some people, that's a bad thing. But, I, you know, basically, it's sort of like talking about Doctor Who this week. It lets us have evil Dean Stockwell, and he's very good at that. <laughs> so having that antagonistic scene between uh, Bakula and Stockwell, after seeing them be, like, such close comrades and friends and allies for, at this point, two and change seasons, really is very effective. And that's really the highlight for me of this episode. Yeah, no, it was it was absolutely um even not even not being familiar with that dynamic, it was still fun to see Dean Stockwell um just turn flat out evil at the end and um his his buying towards uh Beckett Bacula was very was quite delightful to see. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, the other thing I'll I'll say like is this one of those things where when you have seen an episode but you haven't seen it for in this case several years, probably three years at this point, um I remembered the feeling of that confrontation scene and that reveal. And I remember the episode as that. I didn't really remember all the, the cheesier stuff. The rest of it. Yeah. yeah, I didn't remember all of the, the, the really blatant Stephen King things. My memory had sanded off some of the edges, the rougher edges of it. And just remembered the, the pit in your stomach when you realize that something's wrong with Al. Um, and, and and so it's just memory is a funny thing with these with some of these TV shows. So I'm glad that you enjoyed it at least. Yeah, no, I, I definitely did. And um, just based on this episode, I would be interested in watching more Quantum Leap, which I guess is if that was the episode's purpose, then it did its job. Well, there we go. And I, yes, there's a lot of really really great Quantum Leap. There's a lot of fun and sillier Quantum Leap, but there's also a lot. There's quite a, a number of fantastic 
episodes, including one where he jumps into the body of Lee Harvey Oswald, which oh, is... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, one of the better Quantum Leap episodes, and another where he leaps into his own body as a kid and tries to warn his family about the Vietnam War. Oh. Yeah, it's it's really <laughs> intense stuff. So... Yeah, th- yeah, those are the kind of things that can go either way. Yeah. No, but th- there's some really great Quantum Leap out there. So hopefully at some point, you know, because you don't have enough TV to, p- to pie in. There isn't yeah. enough TV out there. No, th- we're definitely not near peak TV. Psst, not even close. Well, let's move on to our next episode for our Holiday Omnibus, which held up infinitely better. <laughs> it was closer <laughs> to my memory uh, than the first one. And this is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Halloween 2. What made you want to talk about this episode? Uh, well, mostly Andre Brower saying Franz Bruheim and me wondering <laughs> if Franz Bruheim is a real person or just a ridiculous name that the Brooklyn Nine-Nine writers made up for um, Andre Brower to just say multiple times. Is that do you, you you're you're the classical music person? Is Franz Bruheim a real person or? Um. Yes. Uh. <laughs> Franz Bru. Well, it's not. It doesn't say Bruheim here. There's a Wikipedia entry. For 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 Brown's Bruchen, a Dutch conductor and Baroque flautist. Um, okay. So it's B R U with the double dots. I want to say that's umlaut. G G E N. So Bruchen, Bruchen. Maybe maybe that's what he was saying. And I was hearing Heim, but maybe it was Bruchen or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah. So yes, that's an actual that's an actual person. Next person. Okay. So so not just a ridiculous name for Andre Bauer to say, but also a real person. Yes, both. Um, it, yeah. it can be both. It can be both, yes, definitely. Um, no, but but for me, um, what this episode does so excellently is capture the um, the hijinks and slightly silly nature of Halloween, just which which allows everyone to just wear a costume and cut loose. And uh, you know, all all the Brooklyn Nine Nine uh, Halloween episodes have been excellent, mostly because they've been heist episodes more than Halloween episodes. Uh, but this one, I think, is particularly excellent in that uh, not only not only with the A plot of um, you know trying to steal uh, Holt's watch, but also with the B plot of uh, Gina and the dance club and how they kick her out and all those things. It just um, it it takes the natural silliness that Brooklyn Nine Nine does very well and elevates it to appropriately Halloweenish levels with with costumes and and everything to the point that it becomes a really enjoyable episode that you know that's really fun to just watch and rewatch. Yeah, absolutely uh, agreed. They they've they've they established the pattern in the first season with the first Halloween episode which is a lot of fun. And then they've managed to uh I think they top it with two. I don't know that they top it but they have fun with it in this past uh this past week um mm. on on Brooklyn 99 or the week before when they did their their Halloween episode with Santiago. And uh so having again having a more serious undercurrent to the Gina stuff really helps balance things out. Uh, and they, again, the, the energy that they capture with Boyle, with some of these other characters about what Halloween should be. Halloween can be about scary movies or it can be about the joy of candy and fun and community and togetherness. And so having that all come together in the show, it's a really great fit for this show. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, th- this episode just encapsulate, encapsulates that so well. Yeah. Did, what what were your favorite uh, bits? What were your favorite uh, moments in this? Uh, well, my favorite moments, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I mentioned before a million times. I'm gonna mention it again. Franz Bruheim, <laughs> just Andre Brower, just repeatedly just finding any excuse to say Franz Bruheim. 
and um, and Gina Gina getting kicked out of the dance crew by like getting danced out of it was was also just a highlight of the a highlight of the scene. Just no words, just dancing. Mm-hmm. I, I just crack up at that every time I see it. Well, and even just some of the costumes we get at the beginning with with Boyle are pretty great. They have a good uh, level of fun, I guess. With that, they 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 kind of get. It's hijinky enough and memorable enough. Like the rest of the team's reaction works and, and really just well. seeing how everything, like just seeing how Holt brought everything together at the end, was mm-hmm. also you know also amusing in a way that like it it you know the season two was when they really had Holt start to loosen up because he know he knew that the nine nine precinct had been run successfully and um, he didn't have for the first time he maybe didn't have to prove anything anymore and he could lighten up and. Uh, with this episode, the way he corrals everyone um, into into his bed against Peralta um, shows not only how good a detective he actually is, but how good a captain he is and, and how he can bring everyone together. And I think a, a, a detail that that also really helps is that at the at the very end, we see the group out and as much for all the crap they've been giving Boyle, they're all out in costume because it's Halloween. So that really they're giving boil a hard time but it's because he's boil not yeah. because out of like some lack of enjoyment of the holiday like it keeps everybody in again in in invested and you know it, it really supports the group dynamic and lets it not be you know it, it's not making fun of or insulting the holiday and people who enjoy it it's it's making fun of boil for his over eagerness yeah, it's it's the show really toes the line between like gentle ribbing and outright meanness, especially with the character of Boyle. Like, uh, you know, the, the the you know the characters do do make fun of him, but when push comes to shove, they always have Boyle's back. And I I think the the show is excellent, and like maybe some other shows could take uh, could take clues from Brooklyn Nine Nine on how to treat characters um, without making the audience say way that's too far yeah and to to do it without it feeling uh sappy or overly predictable it feels comfortable it doesn't feel um tired and that's that's a can be a difficult line for some shows yeah no absolutely um but Brooklyn and just they they know how to tell that line is this your favorite of the three holiday specials or halloween specials they've done so far um, I, I would think so. I mean, even though I did enjoy this this uh, season's Halloween special, just because it gave, just because it switched up the dynamics to the point that Santiago got the win this time. But uh, no, I, I do think I do think the second one is my most favorite. Uh, what about you? Where do you fall on the three? I would agree. I'd say I'd say two, and then probably two, one, three. But one and three are pretty close, and they're all really fun episodes. Just one had the novelty of it, so. You can see in three, they're kind of looking for a way to do something new with it and almost struggling with it a little bit. So I don't know if they'll do it again next year. Well, they might now. Now that they've established that Santiago and other detectives can actually win, I think my, I think we might see in the near future a complete free for all Halloween, where just um, they have to top each other and who mm-hmm. you know everyone's everyone's on their own team, kind of. Yeah. Except for Boyle, who'll always be on Jake's team. Always, always team yeah. Jake. Always. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move to our last episode for this omnibus, and that's the uh, the classic. Halloween special. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Now, had you, I had seen this as a kid ages ago, but uh, I, you know, and I, of course, you know, some of the, you know, Lucy with the football and getting rocks and the Great Pumpkin and all of that. This, these are things we pick up just, you know, cultural osmosis. Um, but 
it was kind of delightful to to actually sit down and watch it again and have fresh eyes on on what is such a a widely known cultural touch point. Um, now, had you seen this one before? What was your relationship with It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown? Uh, this is actually my first time watching it. I, I'm, I'm familiar with the Charlie Brown comics only via um, whatever I've read here and there on the internet. I haven't um, cultivated a deep relationship with them per se, although I'm familiar with um, with the basics, with uh, with Lucy's five cent therapist and um, the football and and Linus and his perpetual cloud of dust. Um, that's that's oh, that's Pigpen. That's Pigpen. Yes, not Linus. Linus has his blanket. Yes, Linus has the blanket. Yes, see, see that that's that's how that's my level of familiarity with them. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, no. But that being said, this is the first time I saw it, and I actually did did find it quite charming and delightful. Um, I, I do enjoy how they kind of shoehorned almost a um, Christmas story into the Halloween special uh, while still, uh, you know, and, and just moving around. And the Red Baron story was actually surprisingly compelling. Uh, and no, I, I actually overall I did I did enjoy it a fair amount. I, I, I was surprised by how much it does feel more like a series of sketches at, at points than one complete story because we do get the... Now we're just going to spend time with, the, with Snoopy as a flying ace. Uh, that's what the story is going to be for the next five minutes. Um, and it, it really works very well. And having the, yes, we get the, the through line of the, the Great Pumpkin, but we get the thing with Linus at the beginning. Uh, sorry, no, with with Charlie and, and Lucy in the football at the beginning. And then we get that connected thematically, but not on a plot level at the end with the Great Pumpkin with Linus and so to have it just sort of be like they're following these characters on their Halloween afternoon was really nice um also you can the main way that I can feel the age of this is not any of the stories is not any of the plot it's the pacing and it's how this it just takes its time it's very patient um it kind of makes me miss some of that type of storytelling yeah, no, absolutely. It it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's in a, it's in any hurry to get to any kind of point. It's just content in in sort of meandering and moving around and and meeting these characters and just sort of following them around here and there. And um, you know, it 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 never seems to take any one viewpoint. Like Lucy, Lucy tells Linus that he's being a blockhead, uh, but at the same time, it follows Linus and his, and his insistence on this pumpkin being the most sincere one. It's um, the most sincere pumpkin patch out yes. there. Yeah. There's, there's no hypocrisy anywhere. Oh my god, it's so delightful. It is. It, it so it it really feels like the show the 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 film never takes any one character's side. It's just content in watching all these characters from just the sidelines and and sympathizing with all of them and that how they're all celebrating Halloween in their own manners. I I also love how Sally just reads Linus the Riot Act. She's like I love that they don't just have her stick with Linus the whole way. They she defends him and then immediately goes, "You got to be kidding me with this." Uh which feels, you know, it's sweet that she defends him, but that feels appropriate because if you're a kid and you've given up trick or treating cuz you're pra- promised a magic pumpkin and then no magic pumpkin comes, come on. Yeah, you are going to be mad. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Hell, hell hath no fury like a girl deny trick or treats. Oh, absolutely. In <laughs> one of the fun little things for me, this them calling it tricks and treats, yeah, like plural, uh, yeah. was was a nice little detail that I thought was pretty fun. Now, um, the other thing that I that I also was 
much more connected with this time as opposed to what I remember from before is the rocks in the in the trick or treat bag every single time. I just love the way that they again the way that they play that and the the voice performances from the actors. It would be so easy to just have that drag down or have that again not quite balanced right tonally, but they do. He like he just this, this sort of awareness from him that this always happens, but he doesn't let it get him down. And that's something that everybody always says about this special and about this character, but. I was so, I was so connected to that this time watching it. That that's the thing that I haven't necessarily felt as much previously. So it was kind of nice to see what everybody else had been talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and it's very interesting that he's the one who gets the rocks, and he's the one who has like way too many holes in his bed sheets. That it almost feels like the it almost feels like the adults are are saying, "Here's a rock. You didn't put enough effort into your costume," kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like you're. Your poor mother, you ruined a bedsheet for this. <laughs> yeah. Here's yeah. a rock. Yeah. You don't yeah. deserve candy. Yep. Yep. Uh it's uh it, it's it's very charming. Um and it really does capture like the dynamic works well and it does capture a certain thing of of being a kid that which being a kid now, I don't know what it's like, but being a kid when I was growing up, um it's very different. It's nothing like this. There's a universality to their interactions and to the dynamics of the group that really, that's what they're, that's what when people talk about peanuts capturing what it's like to be a kid. That's really what I key into. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, e- even though, even though your mileage may vary in terms of the specific Halloween experiences, it's, um, there, there's a certain, um, you know, there's a certain innocence and charm to the whole thing that I think anyone can relate to anyone at any age in any generation, um, can relate to. Well, do you have favorite moment, favorite peanut, favorite um, any of the above? Um, I I feel like Linus would. Uh, I feel like Linus would be the favorite just because of his sincerity with the with the pumpkin patch. Yeah, it's ca- just no hypocrisy anywhere. <laughs> I just love thinking about what behavior was modeled for him at home. To prompt this, you're like that's what I find fascinating about the whole pumpkin patch. Is like, how did he start that? And is it just his parents don't want to tell him there's no Santa Claus? Like, how did he get that idea? And how like how have his parents allowed him to continue? Because does he does he see hypocrisy as a major world problem that he needs to combat, or is he so lonely at home? He he spent like. Is he? Does he have a terrible childhood? Like, what is going on? Like, I'm fascinated by that. It is, and 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 he just like at at the end with with Charlie Brown telling him that like, oh, I've done plenty of stupid things in my life, and Linus just goes off on him with, you know, in in a way that indicates that it's going to take a lot for Linus to stop believing in the Great Pumpkin. Yeah, um, he he's super invested in this whole yeah. Great Pumpkin. Like, he's doubled down so many times that he can't. But yeah, he's got he can't. He's got to stick with it. Gotta... There, there's no going out at this point, yeah. No. He's going to ride that all the way until he's passing it on to his kids. Definitely. Yeah. Like one, 100%. If, if anything, at some point, I, I, I can imagine adult Linus like dressing up as the great pumpkin and his kids rolling their eyes at him. It's like, there's no great pumpkin, Dad. There's only a Santa Claus. You just wait. Next year, we're going to find... Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Pine to talk uh, Halloween with me as well as an insane show list. Thank you for having me on. And I have a newfound appreciation for all the effort you go through week in, week out. Yeah, 
Yes, I'm a crazy person, it would seem. Um, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, you can find my work on Pop Optic, um, where I'm currently reviewing The Affair and iZombie, um, as well as on Twitter at Dean Epe. And, of course, you can always reach me at The Televerse on Twitter. You can email the Televerse at gmail.com. You can like the Televerse page over on Facebook to start up a conversation there. Uh, or you can leave a comment at the website, popoptic.com, uh, where there will be a post for this episode. You can also find the podcast up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed. lets you skip between each of the different shows in case you're avoiding spoilers. Or an MP3 feed, if you so prefer. I don't know why anybody would prefer, an M- unless you're... Your device can't do M4As. I don't know why anybody would prefer MP3, but a solid third of our listeners do. So, power to you. Well, some people jump. Some people just want something continuous to listen to while they're on the bus or something of that kind. And MP3s tend to work for me when I'm in that kind of state. So fair enough. Sure. Fair enough. Maybe yeah. I'm not the only person who's watching all of this TV, or maybe yeah. other people just really don't care if they get spoiled. That's also. <laughs> very possible anyways um, feel free to donate to our pop optic fundraiser and then you can come on the televerse and discuss all the shows with kate yeah that is a thing that you get that you can do you can come on the dvd shelf with me uh to to make me watch something uh so far our our donors have been kind picking interesting and good shows i uh, we'll see what happens with the other two i'm still like i will I will find something to talk about in the Star Wars Christmas special if they request it. But uh, we'll see what the last two are going to be. But for now, uh, Define, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure to talk TV with you. Thank you for having me on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of The, of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.